Hello and welcome to the In the Ring Pedigree podcast. I'm your host, Peter Thomas Fornital, back with you. Coming from the little house on the east side in Saratoga, it's the calm between the storms, you might say, in terms of the sales with the Phasic Tipton Select Sale in the books and the New York Bread Sale coming right up. Some of the Lexingtonians have headed back home. Many are still here. My first, well, he's not a guest. My co-host for today is one of those who's on the road. Very special mission, it sounds like, that he's on. We're talking about Windstar's Sean Tugel. Sean, where are you and what's going on? I have made it back from Saratoga in a, in a uh, I wouldn't call it record time. I <laughs> made it back in about 13 hours yesterday. Had uh, was filled up on the road, biggest Stewart's coffee I could get about a little before 5 a.m. Made a little stop at Thistle Downs to check on some of our horses there, including our three-for-three three two-year-old. Uh, who looks to be the top two-year-old in Ohio right now and maybe pointing for an open stakes in his next star called Liberate. So um, got to see uh, quite a bit of the uh, wonderful country of the United States of America yesterday and here watching uh, beautiful racehorses go around the Windstar training track this morning. That's fantastic. That is that is an epic journey. How was the sale from your perspective? Um, I thought the sale was fantastic. You know, I mean, second day, set all kinds of records. There was great energy. You saw plenty of buyers there. You saw, you know, plenty of trainers from the West Coast were out there trying to buy horses. So, um, you know, I, I just, it was, it was a Saratoga sale, and it was electric, and uh, everybody seemed to have a great time, and the racing was good while, while all the top buyers in the country were in town. So uh, I think, uh, you know, business is healthy and strong. That's always good to see when you when you see those uh, those record-setting numbers. It it gives you uh, gives you some optimism. That's for certain. We're going to talk more about the sale a little bit later in the show. But before we get to that, Sean, I want to pick your brain. Now, last week you pointed you pointed to some winners, but we can't say that you sort of had identified them as your number one selection in a race. So I don't know if you want to say your, your streak of giving out winners on this show is, is broken or, or paused, or if you want to just say, Hey, it's, it's ongoing. I'll let you, I'll let you decide about the, that, but I, more important than that, I want to talk about some of the two-year-old races coming up this weekend. And I say, we start at Saratoga four star Dave, the feature on Saturday. What's the first race you want to talk about? Well, certainly, uh, we'll just go in numerical order. Uh, race three on Saturday is a mile of 16th, uh, two-year-old race for Colts. Um, I think there's some interesting plays in here. Um, there's two horses that uh, – well, one that really sticks out is the four horse. It's uh, My Sacred Place, Jason Service, making its third lifetime start. First turf start, though, for a, for a son of Temple City – of an awesome again mare uh that is a possibly a uh a sneaky one there that you know by a sire that that really absolutely loves turf and, and seems to be um mainly a turf sire so that's a, a horse who has racing under its belt already and uh gets a chance to run where i think it's pedigree wants them to run uh certainly the two to one favorite uh was a horse that i liked quite a bit first time out for christophe clement declaration of war cold out of an arch mare uh got beat three quarters of length in its first start and uh should be very tough here uh in its second lifetime start so uh 
if the favorite gets beat, I might try to beat him with, with a horse who's going to get uh, turf for the first time. All right, let's move on to race number five. We are two-year-old maidens once again. Six furlongs on the dirt this time. Where's your eye drawn? I almost want to take a double-digit horse here. Do Pete. it. Do it. Uh, Ghost of the Mamba. Mambo, I'm sorry. You get uh, Junior Alvarado, Bill Mott. His two-year-olds have been running awfully good this year. And uh, I really like the draw to the outside. Um, and I think uh, outside of that, you could maybe you maybe go with the other first-time starter for Steve Asmussen. And, um, and, and Oxo Equine here with Chad Brown has a firster. But uh, I'm going to go with the 12-to-1 shot here on the outside and, and uh, be snapping home like Chris Pepito liked to do for old Bill Mott on the outside there. <laughs> Some of these Mott babies have really been uh, have really been running well this meet. So uh, that's one of those angles that I think some people think, oh, Mott, they'll, they'll definitely need a race. That's not the way you see it, though, Sean. Um, you know, certainly I still think you have to use that as a consideration. But this is one, this is one where, where you toss out the uh, – the, the trainer's first time percentage win in a sense, because he's running really well at the meet. I think you, you, this is one where you use kind of the synopsis of how they doing at the meet. Are they an informed trainer? Are they an out of form trainer? And, and his two year olds are showing up and they're running. So, uh, I'm going to go with a barn that seems to have the the, uh, the right kind of mojo going. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's something we always do as horse players, trying to balance what might be a long-term trend with what could be a shorter-term trend that has more signal in it. And it's a bit of a dance, and it's one you have to do on your toes. But I respect that, and it's always nice to, uh, always nice to be able to be centered on a price as far as your wagering goes. And obviously a lot of interesting runners could be coming out of any of these races we're talking about today from a – from a breeding perspective. Let's move it on to race number seven. Six furlongs on the dirt once again. What about here? Well, let me get the PPs in front of me first, Pete. <laughs> Wait, you didn't know I was going there? You didn't know the next race I, went, I was going to mention? I went straight to the stakes. I went straight to the stakes. <laughs> well, I let you guide the conversation. So I, I, I And then you seem like I you feel, wanted I feel, me. I feel like I'm back in college and I'm... And I'm uh, <laughs> Cramming for some 8 a.m. exam here. Oh, that's pretty funny. That's pretty funny. You can also always tell me to pause the tape. And we're going to leave this in. I'm just saying. But you can always tell me to pause the tape. <laughs> Are you Certainly ready now? On, on quick glance, you, you have to give the Chad Brown uh, first or into mischief um, with Luis Saez from the rail there. I think that's a horse that uh, certainly um, garners the respect here, especially on the morning line. You know, Bill Mott sitting here in, in the post position number two puts Jose Ortiz on a first-time starter at 15-1. to 1. Can he have two double-digit uh, horses run huge uh, first time out and on the day? You know, if the barn's going good, then, then certainly. And then um, Steve Asmussen with the 5-2 to two, uh, looks like the favorite here. The flatter cold, $150,000 yearling for Zayas Stables. Uh, has a bullet out of the gate two works ago. Uh, but that was a little while ago, back on the 28th of July. But came back certainly a week later with a with blew him out a little bit, three furlongs. So uh, this horse looks like he's got the speed put in him, and uh, probably the one to beat here for Steve Asmussen. 
All right, we can now move on to that stake that you mentioned before. It goes as race number eight. It is the Saratoga Special. And my question for you uh, is, does Coach Parcells and the other folks at August Dawn Farm realize that they misspelled Tugel with the number four? <laughs> well, I thought it was, you know, I remember the, the, the Atlanta Falcons player, Jesse Tugel from back in the day and uh so i thought that's who it was originally named after but uh <laughs> I, i'm sure you're it, correct it, it, you know if you hadn't heard uh the story about the horse's name and, and coach parcells and why he named the horse tuggle it's actually uh i think there was an article about it in the Thurbet daily news after he won and it was after a player of his that i guess had just immense amount of talent and like it, after a year into the league got diagnosed with cancer oh i didn't know fought that. it for a long time yeah and uh but he, but um, he, he. I guess he was. He wasn't the biggest player. He's one of those stories where he had just the heart to to compete, and that's what got him got him into the pros. And uh, he's one of those players that Coach Parcells said stuck with him for for as long as he's ever, you know, forever really. And, and unfortunately, I guess he lost his battle to cancer there, uh, you know, with at a very young age. And Parcells was always waiting for one of those special horses to name him after, and, and like this is the one. So. Uh, you know, very impressive start first time out, but several of these horses also did. Uh, you know, talking to Eddie Keneally while up at the sales, he's very high on the one noose. Uh, Jimmy Jerkins, you know, winning him winning first time out, uh, that horse must have immense talent because he's not a uh, trainer that has him cranked early. But Greenlight Go was an extremely impressive maiden uh, winner at uh, Belmont first time out. That race came back pretty good. Montauk Daddy came back and won. And unfortunately, the horse that I was all over last week and stumbled out of the gate, Extreme Force, was third in that race. But that's a horse to talk about later. And, and uh, for, for a horse that had a lot of trouble in, in, a, in a race that uh, might get a good price on next time. But uh, I think the horse that I am I'm most interested in, a horse that I remember quite vividly from seeing on the farm as a two-year-old this year, who, who went on to do extremely well at the two-year-old sale, and is the only horse to be Dennis's moment this year, the horse that uh, ran 97 buyer and won by 20 lengths. Now, that was because Dennis's moment didn't have a jockey on him. When you watch the replay, um, you'll, you'll see them both coming to the wire together. But uh, I think Tom Amos with, with Long Weekend, I'm, I'm going to go there. Um, a horse that uh, just is a, is a big, strong horse and uh, certainly a horse that uh, first time out, did everything right and uh, should should like a little bit of added distance and uh, I think has the speed to go. What a day for two-year-olds in this country. Not just the four races we're talking about there at Saratoga, but also a comparable number out west at Del Mar. And that's where we're going to turn our attention. We've got a guest on deck who we're going to be getting on the air here soon. I don't want to give the short shrift, but I think we should at least quickly talk through the Saturday Del Mar races and they start right at the top of uh, they start right at the top of the card. Um, you want to give us your thoughts on the opener at Del Mar on Saturday? Well, the horse Baffert, I I, I, I said I was going to live and die in baby races with him, and I didn't get it done last week. But the horse on the rail, Garth, uh, has, is a horse that I, for last several weeks, if not last several months. Um, I've heard it on TVG. I've heard rumblings of it through just the interweb of, of the horse business. But, but this horse is supposed to be the real deal here. So uh, we might, you know, he had a TD and Rising Star 
uh, eight rings last week, but uh, this is this is supposed to be the one that that we've been waiting for, I guess, for to unveil. So uh, I'm just going to leave it short and simple and see if this horse can live up to the hype. I think that makes perfect sense. There were rumors that Garth had bested eight rings in uh, in morning workouts as well. So we'll have to see. Uh, expect a short number, but as we always say on the other show, better a short uh, price than a long face, and it'll certainly be very interesting betting aside to see what this one has under the hood. The next turf race at Del Mar on Saturday is the third. It's a two-year-old maiden going a mile on the turf. Where's your eye drawn? Um, I'm going to stick with the two imports here. I, You know, the, the American agents are extremely good at, at picking out uh, some of these horses over in England, Ireland, France, um, and, and bringing them over here and, uh, and really having a really high strike rate of, of bringing them over here and winning stakes races with, these, with horses like this. Um, so I'm going to go, you know, this is on turf. Both of these horses are getting lasik for the first time, and um, as well as, as getting firm turf for the first time. They've been running in Ireland and on surf, on soft and, and yielding. Um, both of them were competitive over there. I think I'm going to land with, uh, the Andrew Lerner power source as my, uh, my pick between the two. Baltus obviously, uh, always dangerous, but, uh, Andrew Lerner, 29% on the year. This horse was just beaten one and three quarters in his last race on a South, uh, trip with seven furlongs. So the miles should be no issue there. And, um, and I'm gonna I'm gonna go with one of the two euros, but but I'll may I'll put my foot down and, and say the seven's my top choice. All right. Now between those two maiden special weights, there's actually a starter allowance. We're not gonna go through that one, but it is kind of interesting to start off with an all two year old pick three at Del Mar on Saturday. I am gonna make you talk about the best pal, the two year old stake later in the card. It's a grade two, six furlongs on the dirt. And uh, according to the morning lines, anyway, looks like a very competitive bunch. Where's your money going? Where, where are the Tugel Bucks going to go in the best? Part? I tell you what, this is uh, this is quite the lineup for a uh, for the for a two-year-old stakes race here. I mean, it's seven horses, but seven very legitimate uh, chances. Certainly, uh, Wrecking Crew lived up to uh, his big purchase price of eight hundred seventy-five thousand dollars in his first start. Uh, he did draw the rail, so uh, he's only got one option really there. Um, you know, you got Bob Baffert who's putting a maiden in there, but uh, I think I'm going to probably stay away from that one. And um, you got the five, Collusion, Illusion, Mark Glatt, um, high-priced two-year-old there as well, $300,000 April horse. You have uh, Schrodinger, the $550,000 Justin Phillips from March. Um, both of them were winners first time out. I think both those have quite a bit of a, a chance. And then the horse that I'm kind of interested in here is the sixth. Thanks, Mr. Edison. Uh, he won a maiden $150,000 race, but he's been competitive in all three starts. He won by nine last time out. He's going to be, get the added distance. Um, he's six to one. And, um, I think I'm going to take a chance and go with thanks, Mr. Edison. Just, uh, the fact that he has, uh, the most racing fitness in him and uh, the experience. And uh, so I'm going to go with that horse, but certainly the one wrecking crew, um, I think could, 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 you could see quite a performance from him as well.
All right, I like that analysis. I'm going to be betting those races with interest. Very exciting stuff for the two-year-olds. I didn't even look. Are there and and we're not going to go into them, but do you know offhand? Are there anything? Is there anything interesting in two-year-old terms happening in uh, Chicago as part of the Arlington Million undercard? I don't believe so. Okay. I don't believe so. I'm not, and honestly, I haven't even looked at, at the full card there yet either. So I just brought um, that up as an excuse to tell folks to listen to the other show. We've got lots of content about Arlington Million Day. Didn't want to give them short shrift on this show. It's one of my favorite racing days of the year. But with that all said, I think it's time to bring in our special guests. Okay, and now we'd like to welcome to the In the Ring Airwaves the Vice President of Denali Stud, Conrad Banderoff. Conrad, what a sale you guys had. I'll start with an easy one. How have you been celebrating since uh, the tremendous success? Yeah, we're still on cloud nine, and, you know, it's about time to come down and get back into the trenches for New York for its sale. But, no, I mean, it was it was an incredible night, one for the record books, and... Um, you know, it's just uh, still very much surreal. Now, we're going to get into the particulars of the sale and some of the runners that you guys consigned. But we have a very varied audience on this show. We have a lot of people in the breeding industry. We also have a lot of horse players and people who come to this show through our other, uh, our other podcast. And for them, this is a question I've received from a couple of listeners. Who better than you to describe what does a consigner do? So, you know, what we do is we will represent our clients and help to promote and maximize value for uh, their horses and, you know, their, their bloodstock assets. So, you know, when they're entrusting us with their horses, um, you know, it is to, it is to, you know, to get to that goal of, of maximizing the value and, and relying on our market expertise and our in our brand, which we cultivated over 30 years um, of producing and selling, you know, world-class thoroughbreds, and uh, using that as a platform to sell their product. Conrad, a, a lot of the process of a consigner is, is finding these horses and recruiting them, and following them along from a, an early stage uh, in their life. Um, certainly the consignment that you took to Saratoga was outstanding, uh, top to bottom. Um, why don't you go through some of these horses that you, that you sold this past week and, and, and anything that stuck out about any of them from an early stage when you first saw them? Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. You know, I mean, we, uh, we've got a good track record here at Saratoga and, and we worked for some of the, some of the best breeders in, in the country. And, um, you know, who, who always like to sell a horse or two in, in Saratoga, um, you know, going across the consignment, um, you know, on our first night, we sold a ghost sapper Philly, um, three quarter sister to starship truffles for 350,000. Uh, she was purchased as a, as a weanling by Bradley thoroughbreds, Pete and Devin Bradley. And, uh, they sent her to the farm. And I remember I hadn't seen her and, uh, got home from the November sale and went and looked at her. And I mean, she was, she was just gorgeous, and uh, she's one of those fillies that, um, you know, you can kind of see the tack on, you know, already, and, uh, you know, she she just didn't leave much to the imagination. Uh, she's just a very athletic athletic filly, and obviously the timing worked out well with, with Garana, possibly one of the best best three-year-old fillies, if not, 
just one of the best Phillies in the, in the country right now. Um, you know, we, uh, we had two, the two curling Colts who, you know, one who coast off the tail coast top the sale at, uh, at one and a half million, uh, at a Wapi, And then, uh, a curling for stone street out of yes, Liz that brought a million. And, um, uh, this was actually, this was our first sale selling for Don Alberto. So to get off on a good start with, uh, with Wapi and, um, co-top the sale was, a uh, you know, great way to, great way to start our, our relationship with them. And I remember seeing him for the first time at the farm and, um, you know, he was just a, a strong, you know, well-built, very well-balanced, good moving, um, son of Curlin and, you know, Curlin's there, they can sometimes be a little, you know, more plain and coarse and, um, and, you know, he, he had some quality to him, but, you know, he, he was definitely stamped as a, as a Curlin. And then at stone street, you know, yes, yes, Liz comes walking out. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, he looked a lot more, you know, there was a lot more influence from the broodmare sire. Yes, it's true. Which, you know, just had a, was a really prolific cross with Curlin, 66% grade six winners. And, uh, I mean, he was just a, he was just a smooth son of a gun, you know, walked like a Panther, very light on his feet. And, um, you know, I mean, obviously they, they both sold well. Um, I remember our frosted Philly who sold for 850 out of swing it. Uh, we had swing it the mayor on the farm for, uh, you know, most of her career, uh, and, and sold her in the November sale. And, uh, uh, we, uh, we were too focused selling and, uh, didn't have our buying hat on. Otherwise we would have bought the mayor for ourselves, but, we're uh we're thrilled Bain and Chris Welker got her and um this she's always been been a very nice high caliber quality filly and uh you know Chris Welker did an amazing job prepping her for the sale and you know had her had her look looking amazing and uh you know that's uh she was she was our high she was actually probably the high showing horse in the consignment she she showed over 280 times and you know was right up there with the two curlins You mentioned something about uh, using data. That sounded like you were talking about using data, looking at the percentage of graded stakes winners from that particular cross. I was just curious to ask, in this day and age, how much of your job relies on your ability to judge the equine physicality and how much of it involves looking at things like those crosses and other data points that you might see in other types of industries? Well, you know, first and foremost, you have to have the, the physical horse, especially up up here in a place like Saratoga. But um, you know, then from from that point forward, you're you're looking for unique selling points, whether it's whether it's you know recent graded stakes updates and you know in the first or second dam, or um, or you know you're, you're you're looking for for data and facts that are going to help differentiate a horse and help help promote and, and increase that horse's value. And so, um, you know, we, uh, when we looked at the, at the Curlin, yes, Liz, uh, 159, you know, we, uh, we were told how good of a cross it was and, you know, we did our research and, and, you know, pulled the information. I mean, it is, I mean, the, the horses had, had three graded stakes winners on the cross, um, two of which were, were owned and bred by Stone Street, and um, you know when you breed some speed to Curlin, that just uh, 
that works really well. And um, obviously the yes is true mares give him the speed that uh, that needs. And it's kind of, you know, it's almost the magic bullet. Conrad, I, I thought the Frosted Philly was absolutely outstanding. She just got better every single day she was up there. And, and uh, that that's something else I think uh, that goes along with the Saratoga sale is, um, you know, it is such a select sale, a small sale. And, and the buyers have, have so much time to come and really overanalyze a lot of these horses. What's that, that's, what's that tell you about the horses that, that you have up there that, that like the Frosted Philly, like the Curlins that, that can get, that can go through that process, not only shipping 15, 16 hours to go to Saratoga, but then withholding that, that class and, and that, you know, the, the look and, and the holding their weight and, and everything that goes into, into the stressful situation. Yeah. You know, it's, it's something that we are, you know, it's in the forefront of our mind when we're, when we're making the decision of what are we going to bring to Saratoga? I mean, that's one of the questions we ask ourselves is, you know, mentally, can this horse handle it? And, um, you know, just because it, it, it's a big, it's a big mental test on these horses. They're on the grounds a long time. They show more than they would at any other sale simply because people have a lot of time. And, you know, we need to have confidence that a horse is going to be come up, is going to be able to come up here and show the same way the 279th show as it did the first show. And, uh, you know, any reservation, um, you know, that, that'll, that'll have us pull the plug. You know, we, we typically bring anywhere from, you know, six to 10 horses up here. Um, and that's by design, you know, there are other horses that we could bring up here, but, you know, Saratoga is a magical place to sell a horse, but it's also a very expensive place to sell a horse. You're, you're having to, you know, move your entire operation to the state of New York. And, um, you know, it's, uh, it's an expensive place not to sell a horse. So, um, you know, gauging their, their mental toughness and whether or not they're going to be able to withstand the pressure up here is something that's important. And, you know, going along with that, you know, they, they're, they have to be able to jump through all the hoops here more so than, than any other sale simply because, you know, buyers have a lot of time. They can come back and look at a horse a fifth, sixth, seventh time. And, you know, it's funny. I was, I was talking to, to one buyer and, and um, someone who's made big waves in, in a big way in kind of the past three years. And, and he said, you know, this is crazy because I'm talking myself out of, out of horses and I've got way too much time. He said, I can't one and only by proven sires and colts and here he is he bought a he bought a filly by a freshman stallion <laughs> <laughs> the best plans sometimes uh go out the window what's the mike tyson line everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face i don't know that anybody gets punched yeah. in the face uh during during the sale but it is amazing to see that dynamic existing in in this world as well you talked about the mental toughness and the mental development that a horse needs to have to handle everything that goes into coming to a sale like the Phasic Tipton Select Sale. In your experience, is that the same? Is that a predictor at all of the kind of mental development and the kind of head that a horse needs to have to show their best in the afternoon? You sometimes hear the expression in baseball about the pitcher with the the million dollar arm and the ten cent head. Uh, from what I understand, there is somewhat of a similarity when it comes to certain horses. But do you feel like the ability to handle a sale like this can be a predictor of not just 
of what's going to happen at the sale, but what's going to happen in the racing career? Uh, definitely, you know, and I, I think it really, it, it can really show itself with, with Phillies, you know, they'll, I, you know, I think in, when I look at, look at our consignment history, I mean, we've sold a lot of really nice Colts up here, both the Oro, Taprit, um, you know, it, it, it's a long list, but when it comes to mental fortitude, I, I, I find that the Colts are just professional. They, they enjoy having a job. They, they do their job and, you know, they're, they're willing to continue to do it. Uh, the Phillies, you know, those are the ones who can kind of get a little sour on you and, and, uh, and just get a little pissed off with the whole ordeal. Um, but it's the ones who, who say, you know what, I don't want to do this, but I'm going to do it. And, uh, I think it's that attitude that, you know, oftentimes, uh, good Phillies have, you know, you look at horses like Royal Delta and, you know, a lot of the, a lot of, you know, the Queens and, you know, you talk to the trainers, you talk to the people who were around them and they say, Oh yeah, they're, they were tough. And you know, they, they only did things their way. And that was certainly, um, you know, that's certainly the case with, uh, with some of the horses we've sold up here. I mean, you know, our, our most recent successful Phillies in Saratoga, we sold perfect alibi who won the Adirondack. Um, you know, she was, she was, a, she was a very easy Philly, uh, beautiful mover, uh, but never really took a step out of place. Uh, chocolate kisses the year before, um, similar, you know, she was, she was one of those, she was out all the time, but, uh, you know, never made a fuss. And, uh, you know, I think, I think with Phillies, it's, it's certainly, um, you know, it, I think it really shows their, their mental ability to, to handle pressure. And I think that correlates to how they're going to handle the pressure. Easter. Not only is Denali uh, a leading consigner in the nation, but also you have one of the leading farms um, here in Kentucky. What about uh, going back and, and growing up on and around the farm and, and being able to, to go out and see horses like Serena Song on a daily basis? What, what got you hooked into the business and, and had you go, go down the family business and, instead of uh, going out into the real world, as we'll call it? Yeah, you know, I I don't know if I can necessarily pinpoint one specific moment in my life where, um, you know, the light switched on and I said, you know, I'm I'm definitely gonna, you know, that this is this is the life that I want to lead and this is, you know, this is the profession and career I want to embark on. Um, you know, obviously growing up around the sales and and at the farm, I mean, I I was just uh, I was born with a with a passion and an affinity for horses and. Um, you know, for the longest time, my, both of my parents, you know, tried to discourage me from, from coming into the, into the horse business. And I think it was just more of a case, you know, parents tend to think that their line of work is, is harder than anybody else's. You know, lawyers don't want their kids to become lawyers and doctors don't want their kids to become doctors. Um, and I think it's, it, it's the same in the horse business. I mean, obviously it's a, it's an extremely competitive industry. Um, and, you know, there's, especially in, in our area of the, of the business and that, you know, consigning and, and having a, a nursery and boarding farm, you know, you've got a lot of people who were all essentially offering homogenous products. So it's, uh, it, it, it can be difficult to differentiate yourself between other world-class operations. Um, but, you know, for me, it was always about the horse and, um, that's, that's why, uh, you know, I, I still love this industry and I'm still 
you know, I think that's what, what helps me change my parents' mind is once they kind of saw my, my passion for the animal and they and finally accepted it. And probably Animal Kingdom winning the Derby when I was a senior in high school, that was, that might've been the moment where my dad said, I don't think we're going to be able to get him out now. <laughs> what was your connection with Animal Kingdom for those that don't know? Uh, Animal Kingdom was uh, formed and raised at Denali. Uh, we took him to the September sale, and uh, you know he was uh, a partner was bought out at a hundred thousand, and we were asked if uh, if we would like to stay in on him, which uh, we do often with fillies, but. Um, not not as often with Colts and uh, we, we, Barry Irwin must have caught my dad on a good day and and he said yes and uh, <laughs> thank God he did because uh, I think my dad might have killed himself if he didn't. Um, uh, but you know he just he just took us on on an incredible journey you know to to the Winter Circle of the Kentucky Derby and the Dubai World Cup and um, you know he's a he's a special horse. And, you know, obviously our, our our first Derby winner. Hopefully not our last, but um, no, he uh, he really came along and uh, and you know is, has meant a lot to to my family and and to Denali Stud. What a great horse and what a great answer to that previous question of Sean's. I could like see those words in print as you were saying them as a, a description of uh, some of the allure and what's so special about the the, the horse business. Co- coming soon to a catalog page, uh, catalog page uh, <laughs> near you. That was great stuff. So you decided to go on this journey and you'd, you'd obviously been around the business, but you made the decision to go into the Darley Flying Start program. I was curious to know uh, why you thought that would help you in your development and what some of the lessons you learned traveling around the world were that you wouldn't necessarily have learned at home. Yeah, well, the, the Dolphin Flying Start is is an incredible program. You know, at the end of the day, I, I believe it'll be you know, one of Sheikh Mohammed's lasting legacies on our on our industry. He's done so much for thoroughbred uh, sport, but um, you know, I, I I think that this program is one of one of the most important things that that he's done for us. And um, I, I identified the pro, you know the program and and learned about it at a young age. Uh, you know, when I was a sophomore in high school, and then from that point forward, it was just you know okay, this is the goal. What, you know, what do I need to do to, to make myself the best candidate and resume to, uh, you know, to get on. And so I, I spent time working on the track, working in different areas of the, of the business. Uh, I did a semester abroad as an undergrad in Australia, um, to pretty much with the sole focus of trying to, trying to get experience, either working sales down there, doing an internship with Aerofield Stud, one of the leading, leading breeding stallion operations in Australia, and um, you know, uh, a couple well-placed bribes, and there we go. I I was I was offered a you know a, a, you know one of the scholarship one of the scholarships on the program, and I mean it was an amazing two years. I mean it's two years, seven countries, every major hub for horse racing in the world, and um, you know you, you you get to see best practices and and meet and and learn from industry leaders in, in every country. Um, you know that this this sport is played at a, at a very high level, um, and uh, obviously going into the program, I always knew that my ultimate goal was to come back to Denali. So 
um, you know, the flying start really allowed me to, you know, kind of custom tailor the program to, to my individual needs. And, um, you know, I, I did, I did placements with, uh, I went to, went to, uh, Japan and, you know, was exposed to that world, um, while we were on our North American, uh, placements, um, just because, you know, they obviously are a big player in our stock market. And you know, I wanted to kind of see and have my eyes open to their industry. Uh, I spent time with Magic Millions in Australia, one of the leading auction houses down in Australia, and then working for Richard Hannon in, in England and got to do all five days of Royal Ascot. Uh, the year he actually won the St. James's Palace with Barney Roy. Um, so it was just a phenomenal experience. And, you know, when you can when you are exposed to best practices the world over, you have an opportunity to, to kind of see, Hey, can, can this be applied? You know, what, what are they doing differently uh, than what we do in America? And can that practice work? Um, so it was just a, it was a remarkable opportunity for me to, to kind of spend two years and um, you know, there were plenty, a lot of takeaways uh, for Denali when I came back. Fantastic stuff. I've taken up too much of your time today, Conrad, but we're going to have you back on the show soon and hopefully have a chance to meet up in real life uh, as soon as uh, as soon as today. So uh, I want to thank you for your time. Appreciate it. Yeah, no, Thanks, thank Conrad. you guys very much. Yeah, great being on. And now we'd like to welcome back to the show. He's not really a guest. He's a co-host. He's just been so busy this summer, but he had four minutes while driving in an Uber to join us, and we decided to take advantage of that. He's the people's champion, Fox Sports' Jonathan Kinchin. How are you, my man? What's going on, fellas? How are you guys? Life is good. We're, you know, Sean just got back home. I'm still in Saratoga. We had some great uh, chat this week on the show, but wanted to catch up with you very quickly because you've been to the sale before, but you'd never really done the sale proper before. And I just wanted your quick two-minute take, JK, on what the experience was like of attending the Phasic Tipton Select Sale on Monday night. Oh, it's always a lot of fun. Um, I uh, Two highlights, I think, for me was... Uh, I wore a, sh- a shirt that uh, my girlfriend threatened that if I wear wore, she was not coming with me. <laughs> she, she did come, so that 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 worked out. Um, and then uh, and then and then my real moment of, of of feeling like I'm on TV every day in Saratoga was was of I've always been you know like hello friendly with with Bob Baffert when I see him. Uh, oddly enough, in my past life, I was a high school football coach and a kid that I coach actually dates. Bob's niece so we would say hello to each other um I saw him at the sale and I told him that I got I got uh I tossed him out of a turf race at Del Mar <laughs> and and he told me uh he said you should have texted me I said Bob I don't, I don't have your number <laughs> and he's like here 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 take my number and I was like whoa, whoa Bob, Bob 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 are you sure you want to do that oh my I'm god a, I'm gonna be texting <laughs> all the time asking you about, about your horses and he assured me that he was not that big of a deal and that I was more than welcome. So um, we actually had a, a – a, we thought about joking, just texting him every time he had a runner in to see how long it took him <laughs> to, to get you. angry. <laughs> and then and then eventually and then eventually started asking him about other people's horses just to see, hey, hey Bob, did you see uh, Doug O'Neill's horse? How, how does that one look? But I'm, I'm saving my text for a good one. Uh I, I got to run into the pop star of the horse business, J.K., out at uh, Saratoga one morning. He was 
had a golf cart loaded full of uh, of fans with them. But I think really where you where you're missing out, J.K., is you could almost have with with going on TV, you could almost have your own. What color shirt is J.K. going to wear today? Almost like what color hat the Queen is going to come out in. I really think that you could you could get one hell of a prop back going. Like, are you going to come out in flamingos today? What 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 is it going to be today? So I think you know it's it's, it's you're on TV every day. It's a great idea, Sean. And I, as long as I can get a cut off of the uh, the handle. Oh, it's got to be. It's got to be for charity. It's got to be for charity. But we were we were talking before off air, Sean and I, about how it's not that you've abandoned us. You've just got crazy responsibilities. It's been hard to accommodate this meet. But it feels like you'll be back as a regular on the in the ring show, J.K. Once Labor Day comes and Saratoga meet ends, does that does that feel right? Oh, for sure. And then there's even a possibility that I can you know squeeze some time. It's just hard, like the you know the meetings in the morning and then having to prepare for the show just make it more uh, uh more of a challenge and, and plus like you know when when you get when you, you get guys with four followers harassing you because you said unconfident on the air and <laughs> it, it, it makes you feel like you need to uh like you need to prepare a little bit harder oh d- don't get me started are, are, th- are, are there any uh regulars of saratoga yet that, that you hear screaming over your shoulder or that you're afraid to walk down the path you got any of those guys yet no, no one's threatened me yet, but, uh, you know, it's tricky. You never know when, when you hear these guys that are yelling stuff at you from, from behind. Usually it's a little bit more intense when I'm with Gary Stevens because his, his fans, uh, they, like to, uh, they like to ask him who he likes, which is funny. I'm like, Gary doesn't bet that much. Either. Why are you asking him? Why don't you ask, why don't you ask somebody else? Well, I have one story that we'll use to button up this edition of the In the Ring Pedigree podcast, and it has to do with going to lunch with JK yesterday at Druthers, which is apparently a popular pre-racing spot because there were a lot of people dressed to go to the races there. Um, And I'm not kidding. It was like walking into, you know, uh, Musso and Franks with with a Hollywood starlet. Heads were turning to look at JK. People are staring at the man. And I, I, I was just completely steamed. I'm, I'm thinking to myself, you know, it's not Elvis, it's JK. And besides, I'm the guy who plucked him from obscurity. Stare at me. Now they're just trying to figure out why I'm wearing those ugly striped colored shorts. It's not, it has nothing to do with anything else. I don't know, Pete. You're quite the celebrity yourself. I got to spend a couple of afternoons with you at the Shake Shack, and, and you were doing a lot of handshaking, so don't sell yourself short and think JK's a bigger star than you now. <laughs> I still have more Twitter followers, but not for long. All right, that's going to do it for this edition of the In the Ring Pedigree podcast. I want to thank Sean Tugel. I want to thank Conrad Banderoff. I want to thank JK. Most of all, I want to thank all of you for listening. This show has been a production of In the Money Media. In the Money Media's business manager is Drew Coatney. I'm Peter Thomas Fornital. May the hammer drop your way.